The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it, he unrolled the scroll, and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? This is the word of the Lord. Let the church say amen. amen. It's always a pleasure and a joy to be in the house of the Lord. It's a special privilege to be able to preach God's word. And um, I have to apologize before I preach because our worship leader, um, Adriana, asked me to continue in song, um, but the weather got my vocal cords a little off. My sinuses is running, so I'm just going to preach the word. Amen. 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 Maybe next time. Maybe next time. But um, it's been a true blessing and a privilege and a joy to this Christmas and Advent season to be able to reflect on the coming of Christ, to reflect on the incarnation of Christ. And if you have been here with us at Downtown Church, you will know that we have observed the different functions that Jesus holds. We looked at Jesus the prophet. We have looked at Jesus the high priest and Jesus the true king. Um, but before this, this year ends, 2019 ends, I just want us to reflect and remember Jesus the Savior. And, and we all have those, those Christmas moments, those, those Christmas memories that we will remember and cherish for the rest of our lives um, whether it's for the good or the bad, um, maybe your most favorite on Christmas moment is your favorite because that loved one who you didn't expect to come home finally came home. Or maybe your most um, favorite Christmas moment is when you finally got that gift that you have been waiting all year for to get. Well, my uh, most memorable Christmas moment um, actually has nothing to do with me. Instead, it's about my older sister, Tempest. Um, Tempest, it was her senior year in high school, and she had just 
passed the driver license test and got her driver license. So what does every teenager with a driver license want? A new car. They don't want no used car, they want a new car. So my sister all year was begging my mama, mama, please just give me a car. I'll do anything, I get all A's if you give me this car. Mama, I'm gonna get a scholarship anyway, so you can just take my scholarship fund and give me a new car. I'll do anything for this new car. And Christmas was, was quickly coming around, and my sister kept begging, kept begging, and my mom finally sat her down and said, Daughter, um, do not expect a car on Christmas morning. I can't afford to buy you a car. Neither can I afford to pay for your car insurance. So my sister, this moody teenager, she started pouting all around the house, and Christmas morning finally came up, and our family rule was no one can open up the gifts until everyone is at the tree. So I'm banging on my sister's door like, come down to the tree, do it for me. I know you don't care about Christmas, but do it for me. So we finally get to the tree, and I'm opening up my gifts. I got the brand new PlayStation. I got a brand new pair of shoes. I'm getting everything I want, and my sister just sitting there mad. But my mom, she stood up, and she walked back to her room, and she came back with a special box and gave it to my sister. So I remember I stopped doing everything I was doing, and I was like, my sister didn't get a car. But whatever is in this box got to be close to a car. It got to be good. <laughs> My sister opened up this box, and it was just a sweater, an old Navy sweater. And I remember thinking, oh, Ma, you wrong. <laughs> you wrong. And my mom said, hold up the sweater. And my sister held up the sweater, and out from the bottom fell a set of keys. And me and my sister jumped up and down, we got a new car, we got a new car. I was like, we got a new car. And we ran to the front door, opened the front door, and our excitement immediately disappeared. In 2006, my mom bought my sister a 1981 Corsica. You may ask what a Corsica is, I don't know. They don't make, this was the ugliest car ever made. Um, the driver's side door didn't shut all the way, the seat belts didn't work, and the gas handle didn't work, so we never knew how much gas was in the car. And we later found out that my mom paid $300 for this used car. And this is a story that my family laughs about every Christmas. And I say that story to say that even though my sister received what she asked for, it wasn't what she expected. And instead of being happy and satisfied and rejoicing, instead she was disappointed and upset. And in a similar way, this is what the Israelites are experiencing this morning as we look at Luke chapter 4. For some of you may know that the Israelites, the Jews are the the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God promised these, these three men that their descendants would be a great nation, possess great land, and become a great kingdom. But instead of experiencing the reality and the benefits of this promise, the Israelites instead have been enslaved and heavily oppressed in Egypt for 400 years. And finally, when they found freedom, they was only free to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 
But finally, when they finally walked into the promised land, they were soon captured by a foreign country and stripped away from their land and again placed in the place of captivity. But they was blessed because they was able to return to their homeland only to be captured again and oppressed again. And as we look at Luke chapter 4, this is the place that they are. But in the midst of their captivity, in the midst of their suffering and oppression, they have a promise of God that is their hope. In the midst of all of the trials that they are going through, they have this one thing that keeps them going. They have this one promise that is their hope. And the promise is that God will send a Savior who will free them from all of oppression, and this Savior will have a throne, a kingdom, a dynasty that will last forever. And this Savior will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of, of Peace, Everlasting Father. And in the midst of their trials, Israel's hope is that the day that this scripture is fulfilled and the one who was promised to save them and liberate them actually come. But when Jesus, the Savior, finally came, something strange happened. Instead of rejoicing and worshiping God, they instead doubted him and were upset. And maybe, if we're, if we're honest, that's the place that, that some of us are, are at this morning. Maybe you are the person who has placed your faith in Jesus, but Jesus just hasn't shown up in your life the way you wanted him to. Maybe you're the person who says, man, I'm trying to do right. I'm coming to church every Sunday. I'm paying my tithes. I'm trying to serve. I don't live how I used to live. I don't do the stuff I used to do. But God, why is there still so much trouble in my house? The pastor said, if I marry me one of these Christian godly women, I won't have no problems in my marriage. But Lord, no, that's a lie. God, why is there so much trouble? And it seems as if, Jesus, ever since you came into my life, the road has actually gotten harder rather than easier. You just wasn't what I expected. And over the next couple of minutes, um, my goal is to, to be quick. But um, Pastor Mike told me this is the last Sunday of the year, so take my time. Uh, we ain't got nowhere to go. So uh, I, I, you didn't? I, my bad. I, my bad. So I'm going to be quick, amen? I'm going to be quick, Amen. Trying to get the brunch, trying to get the brunch. But the one thing that I want us to see is, is that no matter what you expect your life to look like, no matter what you may endure or face, I want us to all know and believe and remember that Jesus was sent by God to meet our every need and to heal and restore this fallen world. Jesus was the one sent by God to meet our every need and to heal and restore in his fallen world. And because of who Jesus is and what he has already done, today we can rejoice no matter what difficulties we may face. So before looking at, at Luke chapter 4, will you just bow in a word of prayer um, with me? Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord. You are our light and salvation. Lord, one thing our hearts desire that, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, Lord, that we may gaze upon your beauty, Lord, that we may see you face to face. And Lord, that's my prayer request right now as I begin to preach your word, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that we see you high and lifted up. Lord, I pray for those who may be grieving or mourning or those who just feel numb right now, Lord. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, that you restore everything that has been broken, Lord, Lord, that you restore broken families, Lord, that you restore those broken hearts. Fill us up with your spirit, Lord. Fill us up with your joy. Fill us up with your peace. And fill us up with your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, looking at verse chapter 4, verse 14, we see that Jesus has just returned filled with the Spirit, and he is going throughout all of the country preaching in the different synagogues. And the synagogues were the churches of their day. So Jesus is on this preaching circuit going from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, preaching, and it says that he was glorified by all. He was respected. He was looked at as this great and mighty teacher. And now Jesus decides to turn to his hometown of Nazareth, and, and as his custom, he does the same thing on the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue to preach and teach. And Jesus, who is now respected as this great teacher, they can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say. So they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And back then, they didn't have books. They didn't have Bibles as we do um, now. All of God's word were written on these scrolls. So Jesus was handed this large scroll, and he unrolled this scroll, and he found the place where it, it, it's written in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus chose to read Isaiah 61 which speaks of the day that the Lord's chosen Savior is to come and deliver Israel out of the hands of their oppressors. Jesus chose to read a passage that all of Israel have, have kept near and deep in their hearts longing for the day that this scripture is fulfilled. And just as my sister Tempest longed and dreamed for the morning she will wake up to a new car, more than that has Israel yearned for the day that this passage will be fulfilled. So keep in mind, um, Jesus didn't have no Bible where he can just flip open and find Isaiah 61. He had to roll this, this long piece of um, paper, parch, elephant skin, I don't know what it was on, um, out. And he took his time finding the place to read Isaiah 61. And after he reads these words, everyone in the room is, is waiting to see and hear what this great teacher is going to say. But Jesus doesn't speak yet. He takes his time. He rolls the scroll back up, and he gives it back to the attendant. And he walks across the room and takes his seat, and with all eyes on him, waiting to hear what he's going to say next, Jesus says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. The day that y'all have been waiting for for so long, the day you have been looking forward to for so long, today, that day has come. The Messiah, the Savior, the, the deliverance that you have been hoping for is here. But um, they look at him and say, um, ain't this just Joseph's son? Ain't this the boy who grew up around the street? Didn't you used to change his diaper? How is Jesus, the son of Joseph, just this regular carpenter? How is he coming in here talking about he's the Messiah? And I ain't going to lie to you, as, as I was studying, I, 
I was trying to wrestle with this myself. I mean, Jesus preached and read this, this scripture that, that declared this, this deliverance. It declared this radical transformation. And Jesus says today, this passage has been fulfilled, but nothing outwardly changed. He says, I'm the true king, but he didn't have no army with him. So what did Jesus come to fulfill, and what did Jesus come to do, and why? And again, we have to see that Jesus was sent by God to meet our every need and restore this fallen and broken world. How does Jesus do this? Look at verse 18. It says, Jesus was sent to proclaim good news to the poor. He was sent to proclaim the gospel to the poor. But what is this good news? It's the message of freedom and salvation. It's the message that you have been oppressed and heavy burdened for so long, but for you, freedom and rest is here. It's the message of a new life. And that those who once had no hope, now because Jesus has come, there is hope. And we need to see that Isaiah 61 speaks of the day that anticipates a time when everyone's spiritual brokenness and poverty was to be reversed by the grace of God. Jesus says, I have come to proclaim this, this good news to the poor, and I need us to see that the poor have a special place in the heart of God. And, and there seems to always be two sides to, to, to uh, how to care for the poor. And, and in the world that we live in today, it seems as if there are always two sides to a situation, and you are forced to be 100% on this side, or you, or you are 100% on this side. There's no in-between. You're either 100% a Republican or you're 100% Democrat. You either like your grits with, um, with um, salt and pepper or you like your grits with um, butter and sugar. I like my grits the right way with butter and sugar, amen? <laughs> and, and it seems as if you have to choose a side. And when it comes to this topic of caring for the poor, there are generally two sides. Um, um, in the church. There is one side that would say, hey, physical needs doesn't matter. All you got to do is preach the gospel. The fact that Hispanic kids are, are at the border, stripped away from their parents, doesn't matter. All they need is the gospel that, that saves the soul. This family who, who doesn't have the um, resources to take care of their family, this family who's not living in a safe uh, living environment. Don't worry about that. Just preach to them the gospel that saves the soul. All you got to do is just preach the gospel. And on the other side, you may have the side that only cares about meeting and ending on physical and rare problems, and they neglect the word of God. And when it comes to this, this conversation in the church, I usually either hear you're either on this side or you're on this side. But the truth is, it's not an either or, but it's a both and. Because Jesus came to do both. Jesus came to care for the spiritual poor and the physical poor. And we see in, in his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said with his very mouth, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that Jesus would save those who are low enough and humble enough to recognize their need for a savior. That those who do not hold on to or trust in the riches and the accolades of this world will one day be saved and receive their true inheritance in heaven. 
And as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to put an emphasis on, the, on preaching the gospel that saves the soul because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And we are to pray earnestly for our family and friends who have not accepted this free gift of salvation, joy, life, and peace. And at the same time, the church, as the church, we are to minister to the physical and the social needs of our neighbor. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Jesus preached the gospel, and in the same place, he ministered to the earthly needs. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Jesus preached the gospel to the multitude, and, and, and his disciples tried to send everybody away. And Jesus said, hold on. Feed all these folks so, so they don't go away hungry. And check out what Matthew 25 says. Matthew 25, Jesus said, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous were answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered, truly, I tell you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, so you did it to me. And this is the essence of the gospel. Not just words, not just empty words without action, but, but words that lead for Jesus didn't see us dying because of sin facing an eternal punishment and say just preach the gospel but Jesus himself left the, the glory and the pleasures of heaven and came down and died in that place so that we could live Jesus himself did not see us captives to sin addiction and depression and say just preach the gospel but he came down as a man was tempted with every temptation but yet was without sin he, he endured grief and much sorrow so that now through his death we may know everlasting life. And I'm here to say as the church, we cannot settle with living in our safe Christian bubbles and continue to say, oh, just preach the gospel and do nothing after that. But as believers, we are to preach the good news of Jesus Christ that saves the soul, and we also are to minister to the earthly and physical needs. Because Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, and if we keep reading, Jesus also came to give to give freedom to the captives and the oppressed. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus said, I came to give liberty to the oppressed and sight to the blind. And the truth is, um, many of us here are still blind to the fact that, that we are slaves. Uh, many of us are, are slaves to various passions and feelings. Some here are, are slaves to sexual immorality. Um, some here are slaves to finding your self-worth and your identity and what others think about you. Others are slaves to um, having to uh, find their love through the love of a romantic partner. And if I'm honest, um, I spent the majority of my life being a slave to just this. 
on the majority of my life, if, if I didn't have the approval of my friends, if I didn't have everyone patting me on the back, I couldn't bear to live with myself. I began to play football, and when I scored touchdowns, and, and I was the star of the game, I was the happiest, most joyous person. But when I did score the touchdown, when somebody else scored the game winning touchdown, and, and I wasn't the, the center of attention, I couldn't bear to live with myself. I couldn't bear to be single. I was their friend going from relationship to relationship, girlfriend to girlfriend, because I couldn't bear the feeling of not being loved. I was a slave to the approval of people, and I was a slave to finding love from others. But one day, um, truly, God came in and opened up my eyes, and he truly set me free. Because God came in my life and showed me that his love for me is so much greater than any love I could find in this world. And because I realized that I'm already loved, I no longer have to run and search. I, don't know, I no longer need you to love me. I no longer have to work for your approval because I already know what my God thinks of me. He says I'm his son. I'm his beloved son who, whom he is pleased. And, and now because I have truly found my relationship and this love of God, I have truly been set free. And this is what Jesus said I have come to do, to set you free. And the truth is, you may be sitting there with your families now and you think, man, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I'm just a nice, clean cut, nice guy. But the truth is, we all have been taken captive by various things and we all have been taken captive by sin. And no matter how, how big or little you think your sin is, sin has a way of destroying your life, killing your life, and stealing the life that God has planned for you. Sin has a way of leading you down this path of destruction. Sin has a way of leading you down a lifestyle of addictions. Sin has destroyed so many families. And here is Jesus saying, I am here so you don't got to hurry no more. I am, I'm the one who has come to set you free. I'm the one who is able to tear those chains of strongholds and addictions. All you got to do is look to me. And I want us to see that because Jesus has come, because Jesus has come, today we can rejoice. Not because our lives are perfect, not because we got everything on our Christmas list, not because we got all the money in our bank account, not because we, we are where we want to be in life, but we can rejoice today because he has set us free. What has he set us free from? He has set us free from the guilt and the weight of sin. He has set us free to walk and live in, in, in a new life, to have an, an experience, an everlasting relationship with God. And I can't help but think about um, Harriet Tubman. Uh, many of us learned about Harriet Tubman in school. I hope we all did. Um, and many of us know that Harriet Tubman was the leader of the Underground Railroad. Um, a nickname of hers was the Black Moses because she would risk her lives um, back into slave country to lead slaves into freedom. But many don't know that Harriet Tubman herself was born a slave. And she knew all too well of what it was like to be oppressed. She knew all too well what it was like to live day in and day out without hope, without way of escape. And this is how she describes the moment where she first experienced freedom and deliverance. She said, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. 
She said there was such glory over everything. She said the sun came up like gold through the trees. I felt like I was in heaven. This is what her new identity felt like. This is how she described being set free felt like. And if you have been set free by God, you, all, you too know what it's like to wake up and say, oh, I'm no longer a captive to my sin. I'm no longer a captive to what others think about me. I am set free. I can live in true joy. I have true peace today. Not because my wife acted right. Not because my kids acted right. Um, yeah, my money's still a little funny. But I'm still good. Why? Because I got Jesus and he has come to set me free. So Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to set um, um, the captives free. And thirdly, in my final point, he, Jesus was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this, and this year of the Lord's favor refers to the year of Jubilee. Now, if we look back at the book of Leviticus, and we will see that God told Israel that every, every seventh year you are to Sabbath, and you are not to work the land. You are to rest every seventh year. But he said every seven times those seven years, so every 50th year is to be the year of Jubilee. And what this year of Jubilee meant was it meant that in the time span of 50 years, if you had a debt that you could no longer pay and you have became indebted to someone, at the year of Jubilee, your debt was canceled. The year of Jubilee meant that if, if you lost your land to someone through a business deal or, or something, on the, on the day of Jubilee, your land was to be restored back to you. That if you became a slave, that if you was oppressed, that if you was poor, if you was broke, the year of Jubilee meant that everything that you lost was to be given back to you. This was the day of national restoration. And this is God's radical way of restoring the economy. This is God's way of removing generational poverty and injustices in the city. And Jesus is now saying that, yes, I have come to preach good news to you, but more than preach good, good news to you, I have come to restore to you everything that has been lost and broken. I have come that you may be whole again. Some of us here may be seriously going through unbrokenness in our homes. And you may think, man, what can truly fix this? What, like... I might as well just throw in a towel or uh, me and my husband just going to be roommates for the rest of my life. There is no way of escape. There is no hope. And the hope that we have in Jesus is that he says, because I have come through me, I can heal anything. I can make anything that has been broken and lost whole. All you have to do is truly wait on the Lord as we just got through singing. Wait and trust in the Lord. And Jesus says, I'm the one who has come to truly liberate you so you may know and walk in true freedom. And many of us would, would say that the year of, of Jubilee is something to shout about. If you owe some debt and, then, and, and the first of the month came and it was a year of Jubilee and, and your debt was canceled, you would be shouting. If you had lost all of your land and, and the day of Jubilee came and you got everything that you had lost back, you would be shouting. And it's important to know 
that before we get to the day of Jubilee, uh, we have to celebrate the day of atonement. Because in Leviticus, God says, before you worry about this Jubilee and getting back everything that has lost, you have to celebrate the day of atonement. And for you who don't know what the day of atonement was, the day of atonement was when all of Israel would go to the temple and they would bring their sacrifices um, of their sins so their sins can be forgiven at the temple. But the high priest would take one sacrifice on behalf of all the Israel, on behalf of all of Israel's sin, and, and he will go in the Holy of Holies in the temple and, and, and sacrifice for the forgiveness of all of Israel's sin. So before they could celebrate the blessings of Jubilee, they had to celebrate the forgiveness of their sins. So before you and I can truly expect to um, be truly restored back to God before our relationships in this world can be truly restored, we have to be forgiven of our sins. But, but there was just one problem. As I was looking at this, there was one problem with the Day of Atonement and the Year of Jubilee. The Day of Atonement happened once a year. So when I brought my sacrifice to the temple and I sacrificed, praise the Lord, I'm forgiven. As soon as I got back to the house, I just sinned again. And now I got to wait a whole nother year just to be forgiven. And even thinking about the Jubilee, the Jubilee only happened every 50 years. What if I die in, on the 49th year? I ain't going to never see, see the blessings of, of the Jubilee. But you and I can celebrate today that we don't have to wait for a certain day to be forgiven. We don't have to wait for a high priest to go on our behalf to, to make a sacrifice so we can be forgiven. Because us, we celebrate today that the high priest has made the sacrifice that, that they have put an end to all sacrifices so that me and you can know true forgiveness. And our forgiveness is not through um, sacrificing an animal. It's through the shedding of his blood, the lamb of God that was slain for you and me. And even thinking about the year of Jubilee, we don't have to wait 50 years anymore because every year is a Jubilee because Jesus has come. And that those who follow him and trust in him can celebrate and rejoice today. And, and before I sit down, I, I want to just get something clear. Um, I'm not up here saying, oh, um, the year of Jubilee means um, blessings on your life. It, it means your life is going to go um, however you want it to go. I'm not here saying that, um, oh, trust in Jesus and, and you're going to have an, an, an easy road, but I'm actually saying the opposite. Because when I read the Bible, and I continue to read through the book of Luke, Jesus actually said that if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you must lose your life in order to gain a new one. He says to follow me, you must suffer just as I have suffered. But oh my, there is a final jubilee coming for all those who trust in him. And you may not be rich in this life now, but there is an inheritance being kept for you in heaven. You may be enduring sickness in your body right now, but there is coming a day where you will never cough again. 
you may be low and depressed right now, but there's a day coming where you'll be filled with, with overwhelming joy. And all you got to do today is rejoice and look to Jesus. And I can't help but think about the, the American um, slaves. I did a little Ancestry.com, um, uh, a two-week free trial. You know, I had to look, I look at it for two weeks. And I found out I never knew who my dad dad was. And I did like a whole little family tree, and I found that my dad's name, uh, my granddad's name is Rainey. My great-grandfather's name is Shed. And my great-great-grandfather's name is Anthony. And when I looked at the life of Anthony, it said that, that he lived his entire life a slave. And as I began to just think about my great-great-grandfather, and I was just thinking about this passage and, and what this passage would mean for a person who lived their entire life a slave, I couldn't help but think about the accounts that slaves will risk their lives not to run away to escape for freedom, but they will risk their lives to run away at night to huddle and shout and sing songs of praise and praise and glorify God. That, that these people who were so oppressed, they had no earthly hope that they will risk their lives to run and sing shouts of praise to, to the God who they have never seen. And they were singing songs, I might not have my mansion, but one day I might have my mansion in heaven. They were singing songs, I might not have no shoes on my feet, but one day I'm going to put on my heavenly shoes. And, this was, and their faith was not found in, a, in no perfect life on this earth today, but their faith was found in the one true Jesus. And that one day they will see him face to face. And there will be no more slavery, there will be no more oppression, there will be no more bad days, there will be no more suffering. This was their faith. And this is the true faith of all of believers. And as I sit down, I want to just give y'all just a, a quick history lesson. Um, in 1994, the best movie of all time was produced. In 1994, the best movie of all time was produced, The Lion King. And I remember as a child watching this movie, my, and like, I felt like I watched this movie every day growing up. And for you who, who haven't had the privilege and the joy of watching the Lion King, the Lion King is about the king of Pride Rock, Mufasa, and Mufasa abruptly was killed. And his son Simba, who was the rightful heir to the throne, ran away. So now Pride Rock is left with no king, and all of the lions there thought Mufasa and Simba was dead. So Scar and this pack of, 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 of hyenas came up, and they took captive all of those who was in Pride Rock. Then all of the lions who was in Pride Rock, they was captives. And then not only that, on top of that, a great famine came on top of the whole land. So everybody there was just hungry, hopeless, and helpless. They needed somebody to come and save them. And Simba was way over there singing Akuna Matata, you know, my life means no worries. But when Simba finally found out about the true condition of Pride Rock, Simba said, I got to do something about this. And my favorite part of the movie is when Simba returned to Pride Rock. Because when Simba returned to Pride Rock, his very presence changed everything. 
when Simba returned, his very presence is what gave the lions their hope. His very presence is what gave the lions their a new life. But I love the fact that Simba just didn't show up, but Simba showed up and, and he took on and defeated Scar, setting everyone in the land free, setting all of the captives free. And well, just like the lions had an enemy named Scar, like I said, we too have an enemy and his name is Satan and sin. And the Bible tells us that because of this sin, we are dead, living only for our sinful and fleshly um, cravings. And we are by nature children of wrath. And because we are dead, we have no way of saving ourselves. But when Jesus, when Jesus heard of saw us in our true condition. Jesus says, I have to do something about this too. And, and as we just been celebrating all month, Jesus came down. And because he came down, everything changed. But I love the fact that Jesus just didn't come down either. But Jesus took on Satan. Jesus took on sin and defeated sin so all those who trust in him can walk in the newness of life. Jesus picked up that cross that was, that was supposed to be on, on, on your back and my back, and, and he took it on behalf of himself so all those who are dead may live again. Jesus did this. Jesus took on God's wrath so me and you can, can take on his sonship. And the only thing that I truly want us to take into this new year, it's not, not new year, new me. Um, yes, y'all go set goals, and I hope we work hard to achieve all of our goals, but the one goal that we need to set is holding on to Jesus. That no matter what we may face in the year 2020, we, we can rejoice no matter if we face death, loss, persecution, suffering. We can rejoice because Jesus has already come, and not only because he has come, but he has already given us the promise that he will return and call all of those home. We can rejoice today because Jesus has come. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you, Lord, that this isn't some made-up fairy tale story that we can read and talk about, Lord, but you have declared, Lord, that today this scripture has been fulfilled. And because, Lord, you have fulfilled all things, Lord, we know Lord, that you will come back and gather all those who place their faith in you. But, Lord, even today as we wait for that day, Lord, we can rejoice and know, Lord, that we have a heavenly Father who is with us, who cares for us, who keeps us, who guides us, and who leads us. Lord, be the good, good Father, Lord, that we all need. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we will now continue our, our order of worship with the giving of gifts.